Hashtag prep time, and I'm your host, Naka, and today we're sticking true to our name and talking about ACT test prep, and specifically test-taking techniques for conquering the ACT science and math sections. To kick things off, let's start with the ACT science section. Many students find it daunting, especially those not inclined towards science in school. For the most part, most students have the same advice, but today we have our in-house ACT pros, Alan Reed and Jeremy Freed. Welcome back to the show. What's up? How you doing, Naka? You guys are almost done preparing our latest batch of ACT testers for the upcoming June ACT. How have you guys been helping them approach the science section? Uh, yeah, science section has been one of the biggest differences between our SAT and ACT course. As you know, the SAT doesn't have that. And kids need to know what type of strategy to use. A lot of them are coming in a little bit unsure what to do. They're reading the whole entire uh, diagram and setups, which is certainly... Uh, if you had all the time in the world, a good idea, but a big, big part of the science section, ACT science section rather, is the time constraint there. Absolutely. Uh, the time is the big constraint on the ACT overall, but uh, on the science section, it's really a constraint, uh, so much so actually, that it used to be that they had seven science passages and you had five minutes of passage to complete the 40 questions in total. That was too onerous, so they actually dropped it down to six passages so that you were doing an additional question or so per passage, and that way there was just one less piece of subject matter that you had to get to fresh, and that was making a difference in people's ability to get through it. So let's talk about the strategy behind how to get through that science section since it is such a tight section. It's 35 minutes for 40 questions. What do you guys advise the students on how to kind of manage their time there? Only read what you absolutely need to answer those questions. I would say that's my number one thing. Uh, students are, you know, really worried about making sure they get a full understanding of the material that they need. And that's very, very a common uh, mindset. But for our purposes, we just want them to answer the questions, right? So if a question is directing you towards figure one and answering a very specific detail about it, really all you need to do is go to that diagram, locate the area where the question is asked, and then pick that answer and move on. So a lot of these questions do not require some sort of overall concept or overall knowledge of what exactly is happening in every aspect of that experiment to just simply answer the questions. I like to say that you know, these things are very much mercenary activities, that the point is not to understand something in a holistic way, as Alan was just saying, but to get a question right. So if you're intellectually curious, you might be wondering about everything that's going on, in which case afterwards, get a copy of your test and learn all about it. But in that moment, they ask you a question, you answer that question, you move on, whether or not you have a, an understanding of the big picture is besides the point. And often you don't. If you're really doing it right, you turn to a new passage, you instantly go to a question, and you're really looking back at a figure like, I have no idea what this is about. Like, I'm, you know, kind of excited. Like, what, what, what am I going to find out when I read this graph? But, like, that's what you have to do because you really are just wasting time doing, like, the backstory reading ahead of time when most of that information is not something that's going to impact your score in any way. Yeah, wasting time is, is the big key there. And sometimes, to prove a point, with my group of students, if we are going through an entire passage, I will just point out how little we needed to know about all of the information surrounding the diagrams, and really just show them we're going to walk through these six questions. We're going to go point out every single place where we're finding our answers and what we need to know. And then just how much of this entire page we could have ignored and, and should have. Yeah, once you get that recognition down and 
you only get that through practicing. The one thing I like about the ACT is the timing on the sections, 35 minutes. What I always tell the kids, if you break it down about 30 minutes a day, you get a sufficient practice. For the ACT, I feel you have to practice even more because you have to get your timing down. In tackling most of the figures and diagrams and graphs, are there any tips that you guys have quickly for any data analysis? You do want to really make sure that you understand what's being evaluated. So always evaluating axes, evaluating units, uh, seeing how if there are multiple figures and diagrams that they work together or interact with each other. Uh, often when you have multiple figures and diagrams, they will ask in some ways about the interplay between them, okay, in kind of a double passage uh, sort of way, except it's a, a double figure. At the end of the day, though, uh, what's really the key ingredient is just looking at the right thing. Uh, because you will have, you know, experiment one, figure one, figure two, table one, table two. And if you are not looking in the right place, then obviously it's going to be very difficult to find the information that you're looking for. Uh, but so often students get really discouraged because they're just, I don't know where to look. It's like, wait, you're, you're not looking at the right thing. Like experiment one, what are you, what are you looking at right now? Uh, and it, it's just really about following that very carefully. Uh, and if you, you know, do what they ask you to do and provide the information that they're looking for, then it's really, you know, quite accessible and straightforward. It's just getting to that point. Yeah, I would say having the students take, you know, really specific notes on the questions themselves. A lot of people love to take notes about the passages. They love to summarize. They love to make little maps of what's going on. And they sort of neglect the questions themselves. And so, as Jeremy was saying, in the questions, they're, they're going to tell you, hey, I want you to look specifically for this piece of data in this figure and tell me something about it. So let's address the elephant in the room. How much science content is there on the ACT science section? I think that depends on what you call science content. <laughs> For me, I, I really feel like a lot of what they call science content is just common sense and knowledge that you, yes, do gain probably primarily in science classes throughout your high school career. But I'm talking about things just like how does gravity affect certain objects or when you heat something up, what happens to it generally? Or, um, hey, when I pull on something, what's going to happen to it? So these are all, yes, I guess, science facts. And some of them, I would say a small percentage, maybe three or four questions overall, um, do require what I would consider outside knowledge. Um, yeah, maybe if you have a set of wires and you're pulling on them with an apparatus, how, how would it be affected? How would that expand depending on how much force you put on it or how much weight is being dangled off of uh, an apparatus, something like that? Or, uh, or even, hey, what happens to molecules when you heat them? You know, what causes things to either become a gas or a liquid or stay solid? Things like that. Definitely. You know, um, I, I generally think of science more as statistics on scientific subject matter. Uh, that for the most part, what they're really asking you to do is, is read graphs and read tables and take away information from it. And it so happens that they're often on scientific experiments, but less frequently do you really need to know some science. When, when you do though, uh, as Al said, it's, it's often big picture stuff and even the things that actually require like real scientific knowledge, I would file under, you know, pretty general scientific information. Um, what comes to mind for me is a question, um, you know, one of the uh, conflicting viewpoint, you know, questions, one, one type of question which we haven't touched on yet, but one where they uh, have different, you know, passages, basically short passages that express what someone is uh, thinking or believes, uh, and then you're 
answering questions based on the interplay, you know, which of the students uh, or scientists, whatever, you know, they're discussing, uh, believes this, scientist one, scientist two, scientist three, you know, and you're going through and evaluating content instead of just a, a graph. But I remember one where they said, you know, which scientist is, um, you know, explanation does not abide by the law of conservation of mass. Now, that's a very specific scientific piece of information. I don't think that's necessarily quite as straightforward as how does gravity, you know, impact something. But it is something that if you have finished high school science, like you should know what that is. Um, another one uh, where they were asking about um, was, uh, fish, um, you know, aquatic creatures in some capacity. Uh, and some of them were like small fish, but some of them were small crustaceans. And then they asked the question, which one of these would be most likely, you know, to uh, have something involving an exoskeleton? And it's like, okay, well, I need to know what an exoskeleton is. I need to know, you know, does a fish have that or does a crustacean have that? Uh, and, and yes, there is certainly some scientific information in play, but you're talking about, again, like three or four questions maybe over the duration of the test. So, you know, whether or not you have this great, you know, vast science knowledge to bring to the, you know, party, uh, that that's kind of neither here nor there. Far more important, I think, is really a statistics skill set than, you know, are you good at, at chemistry? Yeah, it's like reading with numbers. That's what we kind of like to tell the kids. Discussing the conflicting viewpoints passage, do you guys have any advice for the students there? Well, I think wherever possible, it's good to make it visual uh, because you're doing so much visual stuff when you're on the lion's share of the science section, that if you can bring a visual element to the conflicting viewpoints, I think you're positioning yourself well. Uh, so that doesn't have to be like draw necessarily your own table or graph, but, you know, make some quick notes about, well, this is what this is about. Oh, student one, um, you know, believes uh, this and this, and, you know, student two uh, has these two elements to it. Uh, let's give a, a specific instance. There's a question that we use uh, that speaks to heat uh, and a chimney and, and how smoke rises through a chimney. Uh, and there are you know, a few different uh, scientists. One of them talks about wind passing over the top and basically like creating a vacuum and sucking it up. One of them talks about heat from the bottom, creating, you know, faster molecules and sending them up. And then they're asking, you know, uh, if this is true, which of these scientists, if this is true. And so if you can articulate in some way, you know, the different elements that they believe about, how do they feel about the height of the chimney? How do they feel about the speed of the molecules? How do they feel about the heat source uh, that you bring specificity again to the way you're thinking about it uh, and smaller details and you're going to be more successful than trying to navigate the entirety of it. Right. I think that is the one passage. And to be clear, there's only one conflicting viewpoints passage per test. And earlier I said, hey, read only what you need to to answer your questions. And for this one, I would say it is important to read the setup and understand what the experiment is or the situation and how each of the scientists or students differs specifically. So for this one, I would say, hey, if you're breaking your time up, it's not necessarily the, that the case that you're spending the same amount of time per passage. And so if you, if you allot a little bit more time to the conflicting viewpoints passage, as long as you're able to do so by understanding how much time is being spent on the other ones, I think that's not a bad idea. All right, so let's use that as kind of our pivot point to talk about the math, where you have about 60 minutes to do about 60 questions, but it isn't a minute per question. How do we break up the time? Right. As far as an average, sure. But uh, as we know, the uh, SAT and ACT math sections do get harder. 
as, as we get towards the end of each section for the SAT and ACT math, uh, questions get harder. They're, they're more difficult concepts. The questions take a little bit of a longer time. So you're going to want to make sure you keep that in mind. It shouldn't be literally a minute per question. You really should be flying through the beginning third, I would say, until you get to the middle third where you start to have a little bit of a transition period. And then the last third, which certainly contains a lot of the more difficult questions. Yeah, I think if you're apportioning your time correctly and, and some good benchmarks, because you know, if you're not doing it a minute per question, you can't necessarily, you know, check in every question to see how you're doing. Uh, but we generally advise that students try and finish the first 20 questions, the first third of the test in about 10 minutes. You spend about 20 minutes on the middle 20, and then you have 30 minutes remaining, if you've done that right, for the final 20, which are going to be the most challenging questions on the test. Um, perhaps uh, somewhat ironically, I find that it's often those questions in the 30s and in the 40s, okay, that people are having more trouble on than some of the concepts in the 50s, in case you're coming down the absolute uh, home stretch there, because those 30s, 40s, what the test kind of considers mid-level difficulty, are often the concepts that students have learned most recently. Uh, so sometimes you'll see as you're working through a breakdown uh, that there's like a rash of questions kind of in the late 30s, and you start to get a little worried, like, oh my gosh, are these kids having trouble? Because if they're struggling here, then, you know, what's going to happen is they get into like the hardest third and then they actually do a little bit better because, you know, they're, they're actually more familiar with that information having just learned it. So uh, usually I find that the, the hardest uh, portion of the test can be either old material that is being tested in its most challenging way uh, and then like the new material where it's tested its absolute hardest in the final few questions of the math section. And Jeremy, that's probably because the ACT math is based on the national curriculum for high school students. So they are going to be dealing with stuff they just most recently saw in school. Um, unlike on their SAT, where they have mostly algebra and algebra, some math they haven't seen in a minute, and some intro to trigonometry. Uh, so what are the spicy topics that they're going to be seeing on the ACT that they probably need to be more familiar with? Certainly a big difference between the two tests is just the depth in math. Uh, on the ACT, you're going to see a lot more questions that deal with logarithms, that deal with more complex probability, things like permutation and combination. They're going to deal with certain, as, as Naka, you just said, more spicy trigonometry, <laughs> things like law of sines, law of cosines will, will show up, not necessarily every test. Uh, I've charted a lot of these questions and doing research for, for this podcast. And a lot of these concepts are there, but not necessarily very frequent. So when it really comes to maximizing your score, if you're a student who's looking for that to get 60 questions right on this for equivalent of 36, you really do have to cover a lot of ground, you know, more, more so than would show up on any singular test and just sort of hope that you can make sure you cover all your bases, things like matrices, things like um, in, uh, imaginary numbers or or even different things that go back to geometry um, And I would say as well that because of the kind of trade-off between the SAT and the ACT, the SAT, of course, traditionally subtitled the reasoning test, more about thinking skills perhaps uh, than the ACT, which more is uh, more of a knowledge-based test. Uh, the big difference between the two, like right off the bat, is the SAT gives you the reference box. Uh, because they want you to have the necessary tools, you know, and then it's a question of who uses the tools the best if everybody's got the same ones versus the ACT, which is just like, do you know this? If you know this, 
then you can get this right. And if you don't know this, then you're not really going to have a chance to get this right because there is a piece of information that you just don't have and there's no way for you to find it at this point when you're taking this test you know, in here. So the good thing to do as well, you know, from a technique standpoint, is just pick something and move forward if you don't know what's going on there. Uh, because no amount of time is going to, you know, allow you to sit there and, again, you know, Al mentioned the, the spicy trick, you know, law of cosines. If you don't know what that is, or law of science, if you don't know what that is, and they do not provide it to you, then you're staring at these answer choices, they don't mean a thing to you there. Uh, you need to pick something and you need to move on to a question that you actually have some idea of what's going on, because no amount of time is going to help you actually get closer to this beyond just taking a guess. And this goes back to practicing. Right? There's not an infinite number of questions out there. They like to change the numbers around and everything, but that's why practicing for the ACT is tremendously important to develop those skills, develop those habits. How would you guys recommend practicing for the ACT? I know I talked about my 30 minutes a day, but that's just my general advice. Yeah, I think for the ACT math, if you're a student who's struggling to get the score you want, you really need to think about why that's happening. Are there questions that you know how to do, but for whatever reason, you're just not able to execute? That's one thing. If, on the other hand, as Jeremy mentioned, hey, I'm just looking at a question and I don't know the equation of a circle and this is the only thing that question is asking me, you need to come up with a way to sort of categorize and maybe even come up with a database, use some index cards, and recognize what topics are being tested that you simply need to learn. You think you need to go through and understand, hey, I've seen this question now on two tests. I haven't been able to conquer it. I need to make sure I, I know what the equation is or how to how to go about solving it. Are there strategies like plug-in and back-solve, which are still applicable on this test in some ways? Can those be utilized to conquer these questions? And you need to sort of knock down those barriers one by one. I'd 100% agree that it's a really purposeful uh, approach to improving your math uh, skill set there. In some ways, uh, math prep for the ACT can almost be reactive, that there are so many different subject matters and so much you know, different information that you could really be held responsible for, that it's almost better to take a few tests to find out, like, what don't you know yet? Or what do you remember learning? But it was a little while ago, and uh, I just, I can't remember what I'm supposed to do with, like, like natural log? How does that work? You know, that you want to identify and then specifically target the weak points, you know, rather than try to, you know, do a survey of, you know, 11 grades worth of math that could potentially show up on this thing. So um, it, it's definitely something that, as Alan said, either like a database or flashcards, but that you identify this is a weak spot. This is something where I'm losing points. I need to make it in something where I'm gaining points. And the way that you do that is by specifically identifying it and then addressing it through, you know, further study uh, and insight. And it's also time, right? Time is a big factor. So you want to be honest with yourself. Do you know this concept well enough or are you sort of just fumbling your way through and trying this and trying that and eventually arriving at the answer that you're a little bit shaky on? Or do you really know what you're doing? Because if you know what you're doing, you should be able to quickly and effectively conquer each question as it comes. And it shouldn't be a, a challenge there. And when you want to make sure you get all these questions, you have to make it to the end. You have to, you have to make it accurately to the end. So it kind of doesn't matter if you would have known question number 57, but you didn't have time to get to it because of how much time you were spending in the, in the 30s and the 40s. Well, guys, that was awesome. Do you guys want to wrap up with a hashtag prep pro tip? Well, for science, the big one, as we said, is uh, just to 
jump right into the questions. As many questions as you possibly can without any context is the way to go. And then, uh, as Alan has said, just read the bare minimum. What you need to get a question right, anything else uh, you bypass, you don't have the time, you don't have the inclination, you don't have the need. Uh, jump right to the questions. Yeah, in math, I would definitely say know what you don't know. So if there are, you know, different topics, logarithms, matrices, asymptotes, whatever they may be, if you just know that those are questions that are going to be an issue for you, for you, for you make sure you figure out some way to, to conquer that. You know, have somebody, have a resource that you can reach out to. Test Takers is here for that. Yeah. And on that, let me plug us. So that wraps up today's episode of Hashtag Prep. We hope you've gained valuable insights and strategies for conquering the ACT science and math sections. Remember, understanding the structure, practicing efficiently, and prioritizing accuracy on easier questions are the keys to success. But don't go away just yet. Our next episode is just around the corner, and it's all about mastering the ACT English and reading sections. We'll share some insider tips on grammar, punctuation, and effective reading strategies. So stay tuned and be sure to catch our upcoming episode. As always, I'm your host, Naka, and this has been another episode of Hashtag Prep. <laughs>